Our scripture reading this morning is from Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 15. Uh, It's on page 798 in the Pew Bible. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down? Or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The word of the Lord. And I know this mic works because Paul's not much taller than me. I have a moment for mission for you today, just to tell you what you have done to help other people. How about that? Um, The verse that is our um, center is Galatians 6, 9. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up. And they emphasize that one of the main things that people are needing help with, according to the book, is food. And there have been a lot of countries that have been devastated with all kinds of fire and storms and they're having to start over planting crops and uh, teaching people how to grow food. Ukraine is one place and we helped um, in that area and I'll get to that in a minute but there's a really nice poem here. Um, The author is John Bowering that band. There is in every human heart some not completely barren part, where seeds of truth and love might grow and flowers of generous virtue flow. To plant, to watch, to water there, this be our duty, be our care. It says, uh, this reminds us that generosity flows out of our own hearts where seeds of truth and love have been planted. Today, through our offering to, well, it's not today, but uh, one great hour of sharing. Um, we planted seeds in places near and far. 
our gifts help organizations confront food insecurity the gifts allow women to plant crops and produce fertilizers and receive the physical seeds they need for planting your gifts allow other women to learn practices of irrigation sustainable farming techniques your gifts also help support food pantries and soup kitchens and much more through ties offerings and special gifts we proclaim boldly that it's time to share all right here is a, a list of places now first it's countries where through giving our percentage of the church's tithe to CAPCOM and it gets spread CAPCOM is the American Baptist Churches of America okay. and we give to four different um, offerings a year so the Dominican Republic our money went to help with tribal violence also to help repair after Hurricane Fiona Hong Kong COVID-19 resurgence Myanmar civil unrest Nicaragua Hurricane Fiona again Philippines Typhoon Odette South Africa flooding Ukraine we know the Russian invasion and then here at home there are four states well actually two states and Puerto Rico that got hit with um, Hurricane Fiona Indiana Pennsylvania and then Puerto Rico so we've helped restore things there buildings um, crops everything that I mean they were wiped out uh, let's see tornado relief Indiana Kentucky flood relief Indiana Kentucky uh, big fires in Indiana now that is in our state now the deacons take up an offering once a month also and that stays locally here sort of locally first is our own people when they need are in need there's funds to help them out and then we reach out to the community so we've been helping with the bridge bridge mission door which is Kathleen's um, the food pantry st. Luke's guest house we in the past we've helped with the pregnancy crisis center Catholic charities you name it we have our fingers in there lately and we are being so blessed the more we give the more we get so I just want to close with this when you take a global view of our world natural disasters occur every week when you add war civil wars and a pandemic slower moving disasters continue to fester each day if you watch the news you know that the larger disasters are captured by our news media and word of these tragedies is brought into our homes however many needs of our world whether in a neighboring state or half the world away remain uncovered by our news media with our extensive network of international and domestic partners American Baptists can and do make a difference wherever and whenever disaster strikes. So if you think you're insignificant, what little you give doesn't make a difference, you're wrong. Think again. Like I said, our fingers are everywhere.
morning, everyone. Can you hear me on this? Yeah? Okay, good. All right. So, today we're going to talk about what it takes to walk on water. Pay attention. <laughs> so, first let's start with some of the things that walk on water now. How about this guy, Mr. Water Skimmer? Do you think he needs faith to walk on water? Probably not, because he's only got about three brain cells, and God has already uh, built him to walk on water to begin with, and that's kind of his purpose, right? Now, he may need faith that a big fish isn't going to have him for lunch, though. Um, how about this next guy, Mr. Ice Fisherman? So he's walking on water, right? Do you think he needs faith to do that? Maybe, maybe, maybe just a little, right? Because there might be some thin spots out there, right? But he looks like he's more concerned about catching the fat fish that ate all of the water skimmers. So that brings us to the story of Peter walking on the water. We all know that one, right? Peter's out on a boat with the other disciples, and he's in the middle of a storm. He sees Jesus walking on the water, and he asks him if he can get out of the boat and walk over to where Jesus is standing. And Jesus says, yeah, go for it. The first thing we notice is this is something that Peter is doing. Jesus isn't doing it for him. Faith is the wire that connects us to God's power. And Jesus has told Peter to go ahead and plug in. So he starts walking towards Jesus. It must have been like a baby taking his first steps. You know, with, and Jesus is there, and Jesus is holding out his hands. Come on, Peter, you can do it. But the next thing is very important. When you're trying to walk on water, make sure you're heading towards Jesus. Jesus told Peter to come to him. What if Peter said, hey, I can walk on water? Galilee Pizza, it's right over there on shore. I'm going to go get us a pie. And he starts heading off in the wrong direction, right? So we know what happens next when he starts looking at the wind and the waves. Glub, glub. So now Jesus has to call the Coast Guard, and there's helicopters and search grids and baskets hanging from a cable. Peter's going to be there for a while. So these things go together. Number one, when Jesus calls you to do something, believe that you can and get out of the boat. But number two, head towards him. Because if you stumble, and you probably will, he's right there to pull you back up. So practice this enough times, and you may get really good at walking on water. You might just end up like this guy. Let's pray. Lord, your good news is so simple that sometimes we kind of forget what it means. 
Uh, today we're back to the basics. I pray that you will help me to speak clearly and help us to understand in a fresh way uh, all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Sam is wearing a t-shirt that says, you're never too old for nap time, and I have observed the last few weeks that because it's hot in here and we don't have air conditioning, that it is really tricky not to have nap time during sermon time. So <laughs> I'm going to give you the sum up of this sermon right now, and then you will get the main point um, if you happen to drift off during the rest of the details. So, um, but I, you're going to help me. We just sang a song that most of the words were, Jesus saves. What does that mean? Okay, we have eternal life. Beca what was the rest? If he is ours. Okay. Does everybody know what that means? What Bernice just said? Okay, we, it also means we need to be saved. What do we need to be saved from? Ourselves. The world. Sin. Separation. Death. Okay, this is great, and it's also tricky because we're saying all these things that we know, that, you know, the Bible tells us, and we're using all these words, and these are... These are normal words, save and death and um, ourselves and even sin. But they're also, they, when you come inside this building and you say those words, they have a very churchy meaning, right? And sometimes we hear them so often that we kind of miss what it means. So like if Bernice says being saved means that we have eternal life if we, are Je if we belong to Jesus, Okay, well, how do we belong to Jesus? What really is eternal life? If we say we need to be saved from ourselves, well, why? <laughs> because of the evil one. Okay. So, there's a whole lot of stuff that sounds simple, but if you said it to somebody out there, who has never been in a church before and maybe has heard the name of Jesus, but probably more as a curse word than actual stories. Um, but uh, it's like a whole other language. So here is the short version of this sermon. We need to be saved. Jesus is the only one who can save us, and we are saved by putting our trust in him and confessing it. And that's in the Bible. But... You're going to need to stay awake <laughs> so that we can talk about what all that actually means. One thing that helped me, I actually was talking to somebody online a couple weeks ago who is a Christian, has been a Christian for most of her life, and she was admitting to me that she struggles with the word saved, um, partly because she feels like she needs to tell other people about her faith, but she, because she grew up in the church and she never had, like, some horrible, sinful life, um, she struggles to feel saved, to know what in the world this is all about. And I told her that I have another online friend 
who, um, who actually met Jesus as a young adult. And so she didn't have all of the word baggage, and she doesn't talk about being saved. She says, and she, sa- she says this almost every time she's telling her life story, and it is really natural when she says it. When Jesus rescued me, this is what happened. Because the word saved is so used in the church, it has started to lose its meaning. So it's not a bad word to say, but I think it helps us to understand it a little bit better if we change the word up a little just to kind of open our brains. And so we're going to go back and forth between the word saved and the word rescued. When you hear the word rescued, what comes to mind? I'm in trouble. James, it looks like you were about to say something. Nope? Okay. Being pulled out of a mess. What was... Being lost. Yep. When I think of rescue, my brain automatically goes to shipwreck. I don't know why, because I've never been shipwrecked. Please let me never be shipwrecked. Um, <laughs> this year, for some reason, the, f- the reason is I like free books, and these two books both happen to be free. Um, I have been reading books that involve shipwrecks. One of them was The Life of Pi, and the other one is Ahab's Wife. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> They're tough reads. The Life of Pi is especially rough. I would not recommend it to anybody. Um, Ahab's Wife is very well written. But both of them depict people in a boat, in a ship, that gets somehow compromised, and they each end up in lifeboats. And the things that happen to them in these lifeboats before they are rescued are horrible. So we're going to go back to that in a second. Um, But let's just recap a little bit of this year. After Easter, we spent a whole series, or part of the lectionary, talking about... um, Is the good news really good? And we talked about the implications of the good news in this life now. If we belong to Jesus, if we have been rescued by Jesus, what difference does it make, not just in eternity, but right now? And so we talked about that, and then after that, we've been talking about, up until last week, we've been talking about anything but ordinary faith and stages of faith, what it means to trust in God, and we've been looking at especially Abraham and Jacob. And these are good foundations for what we're going to talk about the next five or six weeks, um, about being saved, being rescued. This, these things that we talked about already, it feels a little backwards, maybe, um, but they will give us a good foundation as we talk about salvation, what salvation is, and what is required of us to get saved or get rescued. Um, So we can probably keep it, we can probably get a fuller understanding of this if we keep a couple of things from the last two focuses in mind. The first thing is, God is good, and the news about him is good for humans. So keep that in mind as we talk about things like sin and and all that stuff. God is good, and the news about him is good for humans, and 
salvation is a process, which we've explored in the stories of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But it also has a starting point. Like we said a couple weeks ago, God doesn't have grandchildren, right? We choose to become part of God's family ourselves. God adopts us into his family. We don't get there because our parent or some other person that is maybe holier than than us got us there, or even because we sit in church every week. That doesn't necessarily make us part of God's family. So salvation is a process, but it has a starting point where we join Jesus in his reality. (coughs) And so, (coughs) excuse me, You were right about the cough drop, Dave. (laughs) Um, For this next couple of weeks, today and the next few, we are going to be focusing on that starting point. Let me be clear. Not everybody knows exactly when their starting point is. People like the woman I was talking to who grew up in the church, or even like me, I mean, there was a time where my mom prompted me to ask Jesus into my heart, but I'm pretty sure I already belonged to Jesus before that. I loved Jesus. There is already, because my mom wrote down everything about her first child, (laughs) um, there is vast record of that I already had a relationship with God through Jesus even before I did that official thing. So we don't always know exactly the date of the starting point, but there is a starting point to our life with God. So let's talk about rescued from what? You, all of these things came up. Um, sin, somebody said sin. You guys said ourselves. And you said separation, which could also be termed isolation. When we are apart from God, we are captive to all these things. So let's think about the shipwreck thing again. Usually, shipwrecks are not the wrecked person's fault. In the two novels I read, and probably Robinson Crusoe, which I've never read, and uh, Castaway, which I've never seen, all of the main characters of those stories are shipwrecked, but they, it wasn't their fault. And this is true for humans in general. We were born into a planet that's already broken, there's already sin, people already sin against us. The wreck was not our fault, but we're already in it. It's a wreck. In the two novels that I read this year, horrible things happened, like dehydration, because you're surrounded by water, but maybe your lifeboat doesn't have enough fresh water on there, and you can't drink the seawater, obviously, um, and obviously you are going to get hungry. And in both of the books, cannibalism features in way too much detail. Like, I've never read so much about cannibalism in my life, and it's horrifying, (laughs) and I don't ever want to do it again. But I feel like that, even that, is a good analogy for the kind of thing that happens in our shipwreck. We're in a shipwreck. We're in this lifeboat. We cannot rescue ourselves, and we have needs, and so... We will take care of ourselves, even if it means harming another human or harming the resources on the boat or or harming ourselves. 
all of these things can happen. This is a very, we can be in the boat with people and not fully trust them because they're doing the same thing, right? So in our current day and age, it's not super popular to talk about sin. Um, we can usually come up with either a justification for sin or we can um, come up with a diagnosis for it so that it isn't our fault. I don't think that people like us who believe in sin necessarily need to have arguments with other people about that. I think that we can say, look, we're in a shipwreck and it's bad around here. <laughs> right? So, if you're in a shipwreck, you might, if you're lucky, have some tools on your lifeboat. But the tools are just going to help keep you alive. They are not going to rescue you. You might, if you're lucky, end up drifting onto some kind of land. But even if you get there, even if there are people there, you are not guaranteed that you're going to know the language. You're not guaranteed that they're going to care about you. You're not going to, you're not, you cannot save yourself. And most likely, you don't have all the tools that you need. You might run aground somewhere after you're barely still alive. You don't have tools to communicate with anybody else to get help. You need somebody else to find you, to reach out to you, maybe even come down where you are. If you're so weak, you can't climb out of the boat yourself to get you and pull you to safety. So how do we get rescued in this shipwreck that we're all in? Well, in Romans 10, the Apostle Paul writes in verse 5, Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. So righteousness, we don't have to define sin today, but righteousness is goodness. In the Bible, when the Bible talks about righteousness, the reason it uses the term righteous instead of good is because it's not just morally good, and it's not just socially good, it's all of that together. So it's moral goodness and social justice. That is the righteousness, the umbrella that God is looking for. And there isn't, sorry, but there's not a human being who can live up to the full righteousness of God. Some of us might be great at social justice, but not so, maybe a little loose in our morals. And some of us might be very morally upright, but we aren't so great at helping other people. Or some, usually most of us are more complicated than that. But we're not going to 100% get all of God's righteousness in one person. Except for Jesus, but we're getting there. The law that... Paul writes about, that he is quoting Moses is talking about, is God's standards of living and being for his people that are given in the Torah. That's the first five books of the what we call the Old Testament. And remember what we said last week about how when you decide to follow Jesus, you're kind of living in two realities at once, like a parallel universe kind of thing, but at the same time. So there's the world that we're living in. This is the shipwreck. It's it's a mess. And then there's God's kingdom. And the law is what applies to God's reality. 
we might not expect people who do not believe in Jesus, who do not trust in God, to live God's standards of reality because they're not in that other reality. They're not in there. But we are, so these are laws that are important for us to follow, but we can't do it perfectly. So when Moses says, the one who does these things will live by them, it means that, get life. Get God's life, get shalom life from the righteousness. But we don't have enough righteousness. None of us do. We cannot live in that, we can't get into that reality by ourselves. This is the person who is in the boat, they're in the lifeboat, and they're kind of okay, but they're still in a lifeboat. They're not rescued, they're just in the lifeboat. They might have some tools, and maybe they've figured out, you know, they're fishing, and they've figured out a way to purify their water so they can drink, drink it. The main character in the life of Pi did that. He still had issues. This is the boat before it hits an iceberg, or before it's attacked by a whale, which happens in Ahab's wife, or before it springs a leak, or has faulty mechanics, or you lose all the things that you were using to stay alive, or whatever. This might even be the person who washes up on an island and finds resources to fend for themselves and a volleyball to talk to. That's great, but that's not optimal living. That is not how we are designed to live. This is what living by the law by itself means. The law is God-given. Following the law is super important, but it's not what gets us into the kingdom. We can't follow it very well until we're already in there. When we're walking with Jesus, the law helps us understand better what the realities of his kingdom are like. They're kind of like the law of nature here. You know, we know how gravity works, and so we operate in cooperation with gravity. Usually, some of us are clumsier than others, and so sometimes gravity takes us by surprise, but there are basic things that we kind of, we don't think about, we just kind of know that this is how I act in this, if, we, if I went to the moon, the laws would change a little bit, and so I'd have to figure that out. God's law is like that in his reality, which is the reality that he designed for this planet and for us originally. But the law by itself only gets us so far. It only gets us as far as something bad happening or nothing happening. The law cannot rescue us. I could be in my little lifeboat and I could be perfectly observing the law, but it's still not going to rescue me. It doesn't work to rescue me. In verses 6 and 7, Paul writes, But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend to heaven? that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. Paul is assuming here that Jesus Christ is the way that we get rescued. But he's saying, even with the law, the law doesn't actually help you go up and get him to rescue you, and it doesn't help you go down into the ocean, the deep, to pull him up and from the dead and rescue you. 
Jesus Christ is the righteous one. He's the only one that's completely righteous, that's completely morally good and socially just. He's the only one that's the whole package. But we can't bring his righteousness to us, ourselves. We can't fully keep the terms of the law, and so we cannot re receive his righteous life into ourselves on those terms, by obeying the law. The law is not going to save us. In other words, if we're floating on a raft in the middle of the ocean, we don't have cell phone service. <laughs> we can't just call somebody. Heck, sometimes in Charleston, I don't have cell phone service. <laughs> Never mind, the middle of the ocean. We can't just go find somebody to rescue us. I'm going to leave my raft over here, and I'm going to go find somebody, and then they're going to rescue me. That doesn't make sense. We can't do that. And we're trying to avoid the deep, right? We're trying to avoid going down to death to find God. We can't save ourselves. Verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning the faith that we proclaim. This is not saying, if you just realize yourself, you'll be saved. You, you already have everything you need. It's already there. You already know it. Some people will try to tell us that. That's not what this means. But it is saying, we don't actually, it's really not that complicated. We don't have to try really hard to rescue ourselves. We don't have to go somewhere far away or do something extreme or special or noteworthy in order to get noticed. Hey, notice me. And pulled out of danger onto God's boat. God is right here. Jesus is right here waiting to save us. Kind of like the story of Peter. Peter, Peter just ended up in the water of his own choice, but that's, <laughs> that's his deal. But he's walking there, and he gets distracted from Jesus, but Jesus is right there. All Peter has to do, which is what he does, is call on Jesus, and Jesus pulls him out. God's right here. He wants to rescue us. We don't need special communication devices or special disciplines or to be extra holy or to be super perfect for this kind of rescue. God is near us, listening, just waiting for us to call out to him. Verses 9 and 10, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, rescued. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So I'm on this raft, and all of a sudden I realize there's a ship right there, and it's not wrecked. Actually, it's literally right there. I might not have much strength left, I might not have much voice left, but there's the ship right there. All I have to do is call out to the captain and believe that he wants to rescue me. This captain does not force a rescue. Maybe I want to be on this raft. I'm, I'm enjoying all the ways that I've found to keep myself alive. 
it's I feel super resourceful. This makes me feel good about myself. I, I'm, I'm good right here. Or I can call out to the captain. I can say, Captain, I believe that you want to rescue me. Please do that. <laughs> Rescue does not require our good works or our efforts. It requires humility and confidence. Those two things don't seem like they should go together, but they do. Like Sandy said, you have to realize that you need to be rescued. No matter how good your life is, no matter what a good person you think you are, no matter how resourceful you are on your lifeboat, or maybe your desert island with your volleyball, without Jesus, you are living outside the original reality that he intended for human beings to occupy. It might be okay. It might be a nice island. But it's not the optimal human experience. So we need humility to realize that we need to be rescued and to realize that no matter how resourceful we are and how great we can make our life on this desert island, we can't rescue ourselves. You cannot get into God's reality on your own efforts. That's what we need humility for. The better your life seems to be, the harder it is to have that humility. Because you did pretty well for yourself. You don't need anything, do you? Humility is key. It is the first step. But we also need confidence. We need confidence that we are human beings that are created in the image of God, and God loves us, and he is offering us a way up into his boat with him. We need confidence that he is the captain of the boat, and he wants us up there with him. Verses 11 through 13, as scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If we call, we'll be saved. Really quick aside, because... This is part of this passage, too. It's kind of funny. The Apostle Paul is talking about how we get saved, how we get rescued, and then all of a sudden, it doesn't feel like he's talking to you, the reader, anymore. It feels like he's talking to you about people that you know. He says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them. So if we're all in a shipwreck, and maybe there's, maybe this is a really big lifeboat, and there's some people on the lifeboat with you, and you've managed to not eat each other, but you are the one that saw the big boat and said, I would prefer to be up there. You can encourage the people on the boat with you to call also and come up there with you. 
but you can't save them yourself any more than you can save your, your own self. But Jesus wants them up there too. What do we do with people who don't call on the name of the Lord or who haven't called on the name of the Lord yet? We might realize we need to be rescued, but what about the good people, the other people in our lives, the people that we love, who are decent human beings, who are making a good life, who aren't hurting people? What about those people? Sometimes I think we avoid thinking about this because we have, some of us who allow ourselves to think about that get overcome with stress and grief when those very same people resist our attempts to tell them about Jesus. Here's this person, and I really care about them, and they don't want to hear me talk about Jesus, and I don't like thinking about what that could mean for them, and so I'm just going to say it's all going to be okay. Or we might say, God is a loving God. There is absolutely no way that he would condemn somebody to hell who just didn't say the magic words about Jesus. So let me say this. God is a loving God. I don't actually think that he condemns anybody to hell, but I do think that people choose to go there if they continually say no to Jesus. So are there people who have never heard of Jesus in their lives who are living biblically righteous, more or less, as much as a human can? Yeah, I think there probably are. And God is gracious, and God knows people's hearts. And it's not for us to judge what's going on between a person and Jesus. Jesus, God has lots and lots of ways of communicating to people. But our rescue is through Jesus. And we all need to be rescued. How that plays out for different people is going to be different. We all have a different story. We can talk about this a little bit more over the next couple of weeks, but for now, let's think about it like this. If we can accept that we ourselves need to be rescued, that's the first step. Most of us in here are basically good people. Maybe we've had some sin in our past, but, you know, mostly right now we're trying to do the best that we can. We come to ch we're all here in church, right? So we're basically good, but if we can come to the, to the realization that even though that may be true, we can't rescue ourselves out of this sinking ship. We need Jesus to do that. Then, chances are, the same goes for our loved ones. And it's not arrogant to tell other people about Jesus. It might be arrogant to assume they don't need him. Sometimes our affection for people or, this is the big one, our fear of what they will think of us or how they will respond to us, usually a combination of both, usually we care about the person and we like them and we can't imagine anything bad about them, but also we really don't want to have that awkward conversation. 
sometimes that can result in our shortchanging them. They need rescue as much as we do, but we are too afraid of looking bad to tell them? Verse 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? We have, when we are on the boat, when we are in Christ's life, when we are in the kingdom of God, we have a responsibility to try to help our fellow shipwreckies. Why would we not do that? They're still on the life raft. However, we don't have to freak out about it. This is the thing, church is so hard, because there are all these ideas that are from the Bible, that are from God, and it's really hard to hold them in balance. We have a responsibility to share the rescue that we have, but it is not our responsibility to actually do the rescuing. We do not have to freak out about somebody else's salvation. We couldn't save ourselves, but we had confidence that Jesus wanted to save us, and he did. Our friends and our family can't save themselves, and we can't save them either, but we can trust that same Jesus to want to rescue them too. He wants to rescue them. And we can join in the process by bringing them the good news in our lives and by bringing them to God's attention. Yes, God sees everything, God knows everybody, and God knows everything, but part of what prayer is for is in our relationship, it's a relationship builder with God, it's communication with God, and in that is to remind him, hey, don't forget my best friend is still in the life raft. Can we, can we get her out? We share with our friends and our loved ones about God in whatever ways we can, and we remind God perpetually. There's a verse in the Psalms or Isaiah or someplace where the writer says, I am not going to give you a break, God, until you do what I'm asking you. That's the kind of attention that we can bring God's attention to our friends. We don't all have to preach. Paul is talking about preaching. Paul is a preacher. I am currently a preacher, but guys, I have not always been able to do this. So, verse 15 says, How can anyone preach unless they are sent? Literal preaching is not always effective, especially in our culture. Did you notice this building is not full? You guys have, I mean, it's kind of amazing that you're here and you come here so regularly to listen to preaching. But a lot of people do not do that. Don't, it just wouldn't do anything for them. So we don't always have to preach. But we were talking in Morning Quiet this week about the people that God has been putting into all of our lives who don't know him yet, who are not rescued yet. There's a reason that they're in our lives. And besides friendship, real friendship is a real thing. 
with no strings attached. We don't have to be friends just so we can rescue people. But our lives, our attitudes, our perspectives, all of that is throwing out the lifeline. Rescuing others requires trusting Jesus, asking Jesus, and remembering with joy and gratitude that he rescued us and that he can and wants to rescue our friends and family. That is good news. We are rescued. They can be rescued. Some of them are rescued. God wants to rescue all of us, and when we are filled with that joy and that hope, it makes it so much easier to live it, and even sometimes when the opportunity arises, to talk about it. Then the good news of salvation, the good news of God's rescue, will flow from us in the way that God made each of us, naturally and with joy. As it is written, Paul concludes, it is how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So as we pray, as we close, um, I want you to consider these questions. Who brought the good news to you? And have you recognized, have you acknowledged, have you said to Jesus that you need to be rescued? I would imagine that most of us here have, but I wouldn't make assumptions that everybody has. Have you gotten out of your boat in favor of Jesus? Have you said, Jesus, I am leaving this life raft behind. I want to be up there with you in your boat. I'm going to pray, and if you have not done that, um, I would invite you to, and you would like to, I would invite you to raise your hand to indicate that you are giving your heart, your life to Jesus, that you are trusting him to rescue you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you that you created a good world and you created human beings in your image and you want to be our Lord so that we can live the full human life, the full human potential that you designed us for. Lord God, we offer you our lives. We ask you that you will rescue those who have not yet called on your name. And for those here who have not done that but would like to do it today, please pray, pray this prayer in your hearts. Lord Jesus, I know that I cannot rescue myself. I know that I need you. I want to be part of your life. I have not been fully righteous, but I trust in Jesus' righteousness, and I will follow him from this day on. In his name, amen. Our last hymn is about God's amazing love. <laughs>